Hello there. Going through a divorce? Considering one? Sorry to hear that. But here you are. Welcome to Splitsville. You'll find Splitsville to be a pretty unique place. A new world, really, with its own rules, its own expectations, and in many ways, its own language. But don't worry. You have a knowledgeable guide along the way. A family law attorney with three decades of experience under her belt. And now, here she is. Your host and guide, Lee Sellers. Hi, everyone, and thanks for tuning in to another episode of Welcome to Splitsville. I'm your host and guide, Lee Sellers, founder of Touchstone Family Law. And in this episode, I'll be answering another question that many newcomers to Splitsville have. How do we tell the kids? So let's dive in. So today we're going to be talking to Bretta Collins, who is a licensed marriage and family therapist in Charlotte. Did I get the actual title correct? Yes. Good. I've known Bretta for quite a few years, lived in since I moved to Charlotte. I met her early in my residency here in Charlotte, and she has a really well-rounded practice that complements what I do in that she is a family and marriage therapist. And so she's more on the front lines of some of the difficulties which will land people in my office and is dealing with them early on before that decision is made and looks very hard to prevent people from feeling the need to make this decision and help them heal their relationships when possible. But obviously we know based on my line of work that that's not always possible. And Bretta, tell us a little bit about your practice and and what you concentrate in and what you do. Thank you for having me. I work in a boutique practice in Delaware. We primarily work with couples either struggling to put their relationship back together or struggling to determine is it the right time for the relationship perhaps to dissolve and how to go about doing that in the healthiest way possible for both of them. Um, And usually with children involved, then it becomes a little bit more of a complicated process. So I work with uh, couples, again, strengthening their relationships. Some couples don't know if they're going to stay together, not stay together. And we work to kind of figure out and get rid of the ambivalence and have a clear path. Or again, if we're going to work with a family um, where the parents have decided to separate, we want to do that as gently as possible. And do you ever end up working with just a husband or just a wife or, or just one spouse? Absolutely. We can do that in the actual separation process as support um, and to kind of grieve the loss and create the new identity for this person and for this family. I also, a lot of times, will work with people right when their divorce is starting to become final. There sometimes is a wave of emotion around that new identity piece is now being a divorced mother, a divorced father, a divorced man, divorced woman. Um, So I definitely support through the whole process. And do you actually see children on their own? Do you do? I do gen- not. Okay. Um, I will work with family unit. But if children require additional support, which a lot of times they do, um, I have people in the community that I refer to f- to work with the children. Okay, wonderful. And about one of the things that, that I hear a lot that I would love to hear your take on is I will have people who maybe didn't take the time to go to a therapist um, before they saw a divorce lawyer. So some people that come into my office are not open to therapy or have never had the opportunity Mm -hmm. um, to go to therapy. And I know that they will look at me and and ask me, well, can you tell me how um, should we tell the children? Mm -hmm. 
And I certainly will do my best, but I'm usually like wishing they had a therapist to go and ask. Absolutely. So for our listeners, what advice do you have? You know, I see that all the time. You know, most parents love their children and really have tried to keep their relationship together for the sake of the children. I hear that a lot. And so we know there's no one right or wrong way because all families are different and all children are different. But we do know that there are factors that go into how the children are made aware of the decision that may increase their resiliency, their coping, and prevent further damage, prevent anxiety, prevent depression. Um, And really the main factor in that is for both parents to be present for the conversation. Um, A lot of times one of the parents does not necessarily want the separation. Um, And it's asking an awful lot of that person to show up for this conversation with their children and have a united front. But that is where children gain their security is from their parents. And so the united front of mom and dad sitting down together in a transparent conversation that's age appropriate. So pre-puberty is a different conversation post-puberty. That's interesting. Yeah. So it's it's not always just what you're telling them. It's how you're telling them and, and just the, the whole approach that Absolutely. you're both doing it as a team is actually very important. Absolutely. And there's surprising research out about divorce and when it is the hardest on children. I would be guilty of assuming it would be easier on adult children to find out that their parents are separating or divorcing. And the research is pointing to that actually being a really difficult time for mm. kids to find out about their parents separating with that freshman year of college, keeping it together until the kids go to college um, being a really particularly difficult time for children to learn of their parents' separation. That's interesting because I think you do, at least I know, I have a lot of people who come in who have said marriage has been bad for many, many years and we just stayed together for the children or I'll have somebody coming in and says, well, you know, the last one's leaving the nest and so now I can do this and I've wanted to for 15 years. And it's surprising, but there is a lot of people that that believe that that's a good thing. Absolutely. And you can see how that thinking would occur. Um, But unfortunately, the research now is pretty clear that the freshman year in college is a really difficult time for children to receive the news of separation and really adult children um, because they've grown so accustomed to what their family is. So before the age of two, it's almost a non-factor because the mm-hmm. child's not going to have much memory. And then freshman year and beyond um, in college, it becomes a little bit more difficult. We know kind of pre-puberty, the thinking is so self-centered Um, that they have a hard time with the concept of it not somehow being their fault. Um, So that's a different approach than a child that has a little bit more of an abstract concept and can understand that mommy and daddy are separate than they are, have separate relationships that have nothing to do with them. The other thing that we know about talking to children is we should never do it before bedtime. Oh, really? I've never <laughs> even thought about that. That's it's interesting. That it seems like a great time. We've, you know, everybody's sitting around, and this is a wonderful time for the family to have this really difficult conversation. And what we know is kids go to bed with questions, stew over it, become anxious, um, and sit in that all by themselves. So the way that we would approach the conversation with children would be on a Saturday morning or a Sunday morning, 
um, where we have all day to kind of be available to talk about, Mm. do you have any questions? And because the parents are the adults, it's their role to check in with the children, not to have this conversation and then think, well, we've had the conversation, they know what's going on and it's over. It's an ongoing conversation. It's interesting. So if you're, do you think it is important to tell sibling sets together or is there any benefit to splitting them up? To talk to siblings together ensures that they all receive the same message. It also ensures that they get the message from the parents. We have had situations where one sibling found out first and was actually the one who told their sibling. And so that's an unfair position for each one to have this big secret or knowledge that the other one doesn't have. And then for the other one to receive that from someone who is not their parent. So ideally, it would be a conversation where everyone is present at the same time. So I think that parents of teens are so conscious of the goals that they've set for their teens for successful completion of high school. And um, often parents are hoping that, you know, their teens will go to college or some sort of higher education or um, straight maybe into the military or profession. Mm -hmm. But everybody has like a, a goal or a plan for their children. So I can see where people would be feeling like a discussing this with a a high schooler would be disruptive to their progress during those, you know, sophomore, junior, senior years. But you're talking about the freshman year of college actually being worse. So do you have any advice for parents that have the older children that were sitting here going, wow, I was planning on staying Mm -hmm. together, but now it's looking like that's not such a great idea. Well, the beauty of teenagers is they're um, able to be very perceptive. Um, And so oftentimes it's not a surprise. And in fact, I hear a lot of families say there was a sense of relief. Um, The times where it can be difficult, a divorce can be especially difficult for children who had no idea that their parents had any issues outside of being happy, right? Um, These are parents who have hidden the distance from their children. Um, They've not seen tension or arguments Um, unhappiness, depression, substance abuse, all of that has kind of been hidden from them. Um, And so for those children, um, it's a little shocking and can take a little bit of time uh, for that news to kind of settle. But for most teenagers, they are aware that their parents are struggling or are not in the type of relationship um, that they would like to see them in. Um, And so that's actually a nice time to be able to talk with them about it. It is a, such a stressful time for all families to have teenagers. And so that added stress is going to occur. But we know with proper guidance, with parents committed to a process that's healthy for everyone, that the divorce process begins long before the legal process and continues long after. So it's a commitment to a couple year process to get a family through this. Um, But with the teenagers, the amount of resiliency that they have, their coping strategies, they're able to kind of call on resources that some younger children don't have yet. Mm, That's interesting. Now, I've experienced some questions about middle school that Mm -hmm. just from watching it from my office Mm -hmm. and watching the parents um, report back to me what's going on in their household and when they start having some issues with their children mm-hmm. acting out or just how they're coping or how their success is being warranted. It just seems like middle school seems to also be a challenge, but perhaps different than a high school one, but equally a challenge. Have you noticed anything like that? You know, there's some research 
out recently um, that talks about kind of the age of 11 as being a less than ideal time for parents to separate. And so that post-puberty being a better time. But around the age of 11, a lot of changes are occurring. Um, A lot of independent thinking is starting to occur, but hasn't taken hold yet. Um, So they are still not in the mature brain of an adolescent. They're still a child, still self-centered, self-focused, developmentally appropriately so. But combined with running around in their peer groups with lots of other 11 and 12 year olds. Um, The research is just saying that's not the ideal time for children. But again, if the household is full of conflict and tension, there's really not a good time for children to live in that either. So at that time, it becomes what is kind of the best and healthiest choice for everyone. And what about little children? You talked about like, you know, young, two years and, and under, but what about those kindergartners and and early elementary school students? Well, what's interesting about those kids, so those children are going to talk to their friends on the playground. They haven't started to become as private as the middle school kids have, so they're still kind of airing all the laundry to their friends. Um, And their friends, a lot of them have divorced parents, so they're saying stuff like, you're going to have two birthday parties, you're going to have two Christmases, you're going to get to go to the beach with two different parents, or whatever those things are that the other children are experiencing. So they already have this support group of really enthusiastic children whose parents have divorced well, hopefully. And so we're seeing again that those children, again, based on resiliency, coping mechanisms, temperament, and the health of the family and the health of the parents, we're seeing them be able to be resilient through that change and process. What kind of tips do you give parents on the type of information to disclose when they're having this conversation? A needs-to-know basis. Our children do not need to know the ins and outs of our marriages. Um, And so when you're approaching children to discuss a separation, they don't necessarily need to know the factors that have led into it. But again, if there's been a lot of arguing, it would make sense to say sometimes mommy and daddy have these arguments and it makes daddy sad and mommy sad and y'all sad. And we just think everybody would be happier if we got to live in separate houses. You know, nothing will change for you. You'll still have your mommy. You'll still have your daddy. Um, we'll still, ideally, we'll still spend time together as a family unit. We'll still but mommy and daddy will come to your baseball games. We'll still spend, you know, Thanksgiving together is, is really the goal. But you don't need to go into the ins and outs of daddy does this or mommy does that. And that's why we're getting divorced. Because really, by the time people are in a situation to, to get divorced, it is very uncommon for it to be one person's fault. And is there anything that you guide them just to stay clear of, like specifically? Yeah. Like maybe people over promise or um, just any things that you feel like could um, unintentionally upset the children or upset the process or or make their transition less than than what they want it to be? Well, I would remember that this isn't going to be the only conversation. So we don't have to tell more now. We can save something that feels questionable for later after we have a better idea of what this is going going to look like. I think, you know, again, 
the blaming or the finger pointing or the intimate details of why we're separating is not a um, conversation for children to be a, a part of. Definitely the over-promising or over-delivering, um, under-delivering would be an issue. What we would hope, though, is by the time the conversation was going to occur with the children, the parents would have talked with an attorney, a therapist, and would have a game plan. In my office, we role play. And I ask the hard questions, right? Because the first question is going to be why. And then the other questions either sometimes kids get excited. Sometimes they cry. Sometimes they go radio silent and nobody knows what to do. But I think to practice and to role play without a therapist, just the two of you is helpful so that you have some confidence going into the conversation. The kids need to see confidence from the parents. And again, the secure bond that they have with the parents is not what's being broken. So what about tears? I've heard um, clients tell me that they weren't sure that they could tell their children without crying Mm -hmm. or being emotional. Or I've heard a client come in and complain that they tried to tell them jointly and it didn't go well because the other person was so emotional Mm -hmm. and was crying. Um, And, you know, it seems pretty natural that that would be an emotional conversation to have. Does that really matter? You know, it's good for children to see us express emotion. And this is a big deal. So to minimize it, by being stoic or offering no emotional response is not doing our children favors in these situations. What children need to see is authenticity and honesty from us. But sometimes it is such an emotional experience, again, especially if one of the spouses is not really wanting this to occur, that they have a hard time reining in their emotions. And it gets so big that that's scary for children. But yeah, I think this is all great information. I do too. I really think if we could work towards creating healthy divorce, we would create such a healthier Mm -hmm. culture. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Healthier chances at future relationships for the parents and the kids. Mm -hmm. And so many people are really not interested in going to a therapist or don't really have the opportunity Mm -hmm. for the insurance. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of where I think that, you know, any information that we can give people that's easy, you know, would help because a lot of them will never get this. Right. We've talked about more, a more ideal way Mm -hmm. to do it. Certainly, it's been my experience that it just doesn't always present itself. If you've got one parent who just will not participate in the conversation, mm-hmm. they they feel that that's going to make them complicit. They want to send a strong signal that they are not on board with this. It's mm-hmm. not their decision. It's the other person's. And they just refuse to participate. Mm-hmm. Or you just have one parent who, you know, just really goes rogue and just tells the children mm-hmm. against the other parent's wishes, mm-hmm. um, tells them solo. Are there ways that you can kind of recover from that or some tips that you would give that parent that ends up having to have this solo conversation, either the first one or a second Mm -hmm. one, on how that they can um, still make sure that the correct first information is being given, even if it it didn't get to happen in the ideal Ideal way. Mm -hmm. Well, again, what we don't want to do is overwhelm our children. Their little nervous systems are so sensitive. So we don't want to get their nervous system fired up and anxious. If one parent is charged with being the one to talk to the child, I think it, again, it's an honest conversation and again, no finger pointing, no blaming. And they can be honest and say, you know, mommy or daddy just is having a really hard time having this conversation, but, you know, wants to have this conversation with you in the future. I think out of love for children, 
it is incumbent upon parents to be able to, at some point, have this conversation, each of them, if they cannot do it at the same time, if they don't want to look complicit, if they don't, if they are unable to get their emotional responses under control, which is understandable, I think it's with the goal of that conversation happening in the future. If one parent has gone rogue and told the kids, you know, then the other parent is going to need to very quickly have the conversation about security and safety and love and all the things that we want all of our children to feel. You know, again, ideally both parents, but sometimes it's just not going to happen that way. That's true. Are there any things or signs that parents should be aware of um, after they've had this conversation, Mm -hmm. things that they should maybe be tuned into as a concern versus their children are simply processing the information right. and this is appropriate and what you would have expected to see or, or hear. Right. We know that it takes children about a year to adjust to the change of separation. Um, and so we may see acting out, anxiety, withdrawal. Those are all things as a parent that I would pay really close attention to. Again, some of it's expected, especially depending on age. Um, But if we're noticing too much withdrawal, that would be a red flag for me. Acting out, especially in boys. Uh, Boys do have a harder time with separation and divorce of their parents than girls. That's something that I would really want to pay attention to. Um, Maybe talk with teachers and school counselor to see, is this just behavior at home or is this something that other people are witnessing? Nightmares in younger children. You know, all of those are little cues uh, that they're processing information, um, that they're having an emotional experience, um, which is normal and healthy. But we would hope within the first year that we're seeing some normalcy come back um, and some adjustment occurring. Some factors that can really get in the way of that, introducing a new boyfriend or girlfriend. Oh, wow. That is my biggest beef with my clients. Um, if, if I hear that one of my clients has done that or the other spouse has done it, it just, it sets me on edge because I don't have the degree that you have, but I see that just have tremendous Mm -hmm. negative impacts on this transition. So tell our listeners about this, (laughs) please. We know from a research-based perspective that children need about a year to get used to their new normal. And the introduction of another partner or cohabitation with another partner is truly traumatizing to them in the process. You know, not all children are going to display the classic symptoms of anxiety or depression, but we know if the goal is for the children to prosper through this process, a commitment should be made by both parties not to introduce partners until we've kind of gotten through the hardest part of the separation and divorce process, which is going to be about 12 months post telling the children or post moving out of the home. And so this sort of brings up just following through, we have verbal um, communication with the children when we're talking about what to tell them, but there's so much Mm nonverbal communication going on with the parents and between the parents about Mm -hmm. the children. So you've talked about the fact that you wouldn't necessarily want to tell a child what the reason of a divorce might Mm be or a separation. And of course, sometimes it is another partner. But if you're if you're displaying it, it, it's really the the same thing. You've you've let them in on information that they're not really ready to process. Absolutely. And it does take time for information to kind of settle for all of us. Mm -hmm. Um, So for children to receive that information, it just takes time for them to adjust to a new normal. 
Um, and so for that to then become something else that they have to process and adjust to, it can just become too much. Um, the other thing that we know in this process um, that's going to help determine kind of the resiliency of the child and, and them coming through this as healthy as possible is for both parents to stay active and involved with the child or children. We want as little to change for them as possible. So if you've you know both been involved in carpooling or both been involved in sports or homework or whatever the activities are, um, to adjust their schedule and your schedule so that both parents can still be as active as they were before the separation. And then lastly, it seems like it would go without saying, I'm talking about the other parent to the child or children. It is one of the worst things that can happen during this process. It increases anxiety to feel like they are being torn between two people that they love the most um, is traumatizing for them. So for both parents to commit to not talking about the other parent, not communicating to the other parent through the child, for the child to be able to remain the child in the relationship is imperative to their mental health. That's important. What about the ability to be civil or have some conversations in front of the children? You, you talked about sort of the ideal mm-hmm. that I know a lot of um, therapists and um, counselors and, and divorce lawyers um, hope that sure. they're, um, that everyone can achieve, which mm-hmm. is having some joint meals and some joint activities. What if that, is it better to be together and be looking like you're miserable and tense, or no. would it be better to just yeah. not do it if you can't no. do it? And, 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 you know, just because they can't do it now doesn't mean they can't do it six months from now, a year from now, two years from now. But if the tension is there, the children can feel it. They can sense a lot of that. I don't think we give them enough credit for that intuitive sense that they have, and and they can feel that. There are situations where parents have such a difficult time communicating that they almost go to strictly electronic communication. They have calendar apps um, so they can share their calendar um, without having to talk, or they have an agreement that they talk once a week and update each other on whatever is going on with the children, Um, but the focus of their conversation is solely the children. And and if that's what needs to happen to make this as painless as possible, then that's okay. We just want to make sure that the kids are not being caught in the crossfire, however that's going to look for that family. But other family members, we've talked a lot about how the parents might need to conduct themselves, but do you have any tips or, or thoughts on the grandparents and the aunts and uncles, the brothers yeah. and sisters? Just how do you bring them into this conversation Um To be supportive. Yeah, it's a loss for everyone. And so, you know, I see this played out in so many ways. And sometimes it's that um, the wife and the husband need a little break from their in-laws until kind of the dust settles, until everybody gets used to the idea of this being the new normal. A lot of times there's a set of in-laws who are furious at the circumstances that led to the divorce. And, you know, that can get tricky I think it's important to kind of honor the fact that it is a loss for everyone, including the husband and the wife and their parents and siblings are all losing uh, the face of the family as they knew it. Um, but that doesn't mean that it can't create into something else and, and something different. But a lot of times what we see is that there needs to be kind of a cooling off process while we negotiate what this is going to look like. And since so much of the focus is on the children. The other people feel a little secondary and they are in the moment. 
Um, but typically, with some time, some distance, some consistent messaging, we can figure out a way for the families to function together again if they were functioning together to begin with. Mm-hmm. Retta, I know I'd be preaching to the choir to speak, but I wish everybody could have some supportive therapy or counseling for their family when they're going through uh, these painful times and transitions mm-hmm. in their lives and, and be able to get their children um, the help that they need and, and to make themselves as healthy as they can. Not everybody has access right. to all of the information that you're mm-hmm. sharing. Are you aware of any good resources or sort of self-help is the wrong sign, but just yeah. good resources that can help children and help families um, get the information that they need to do this properly? Yes. Most churches in Charlotte offer a divorce support group, and it's an eight-week process, and it is free. Um, I think some may have a nominal charge, but would offer scholarships if needed. Um, And it's just a wealth of information. In addition to receiving support from people who are going through similar circumstances, you also can really pick up valuable tips from the parents in the group um, and receive the support that you need while you're going through it. Um, Any books that you think are helpful? You know, I'm not really familiar with any books that I would recommend right now post-divorce, pre-divorce. If people are in the contemplative phase, there's a Divorce Proof Your Marriage book that can be helpful. Post-divorce, I would, I I don't, I'm typically not making a book recommendation, but I can absolutely find some resources and get back with you on those. That sounds good because I think there's a lot to talk about and I hope that you'll come back and and visit some of the other experiences and suggestions that you have for families and and parents who are um, going through this process and just couples even without children. We thought this particular conversation was about telling children so this is divorcing people who have children but I know there's there's so many people out there that are going through this that don't have children and that's still just as painful and just as difficult so I hope you'll come back. Absolutely. I'd love to. Thank you. So there you have it. Another neighborhood of Splitsville explored. There's still so much to learn here. So I hope you'll tune in to the next episode. While Splitsville is not a fun place to be, thankfully, it is full of helpful people, valuable resources, and sound advice if you know where to look. See you next time. The insights and views presented in Welcome to Splitsville are for general information purposes only and should not be taken as legal advice for any individual case or situation. Nor does tuning into this podcast constitute an attorney-client relationship of any kind. If you're ready for compassionate and reliable legal guidance on your journey, contact Lee Sellers and her team at www.touchstonefamilylaw.com.